Many moons ago, I went to my 20-year high school reunion. Anybody experienced that? And um, I think it's really it's an anxious moment because you haven't seen, uh, in my case, I moved out of town and hadn't seen a lot of these people for, you know, in many cases, 20 years. And, and you're just wondering, like, what do they look like? And how is everybody doing? Uh, and, and, and so you just kind of come in like, oh, okay, here we go. And you, you, as you're experiencing it through the night, in my case, I was in uh, the Elks Lodge in Gilroy, and I went to Gilroy High School. And, and um, so just, just kind of making my way around the room. And, and, you know, if you've experienced that, you know, a lot of things change for good and bad. And you're like, whoa, and then like, whoa. And so that's just the way it goes that night. And so I, I ran, I was looking for this one guy that was kind of my partner in crime when I was in high school. He was like my best friend in high school. I was not a Christ follower most of the time, but I was in high school, so we, we were crazy. I'm so glad that there were not smartphones back then, because there were a lot, of be, a lot of incriminating evidence against me. But, so I was looking for this guy, and he finally, he shows up, and I'm really anxious to catch up with him. Like, hey, how, how you know, so we're talking, and, uh, you know, off and on, sort of just talking, talking through the night about, you know, what's been going on with his life, what's been going on with my life, and at some point... It, it was just really, really weird. And this is what was weird about it. Like, he had not advanced beyond high school. It, for me, it was like, you know, is this like a back to the future moment or something? Because nothing had changed in this guy's life. It was like we were back, at, you know, the day we graduated. And I realized this guy peaked in high school. This is like as far as he got. And it, it, it was... It was weird, it was strange, and it was really kind of tragic. I remember walking out that night thinking, oh, man. Like, how would it feel to peak in high school? And, that, and that's it. So, on a spiritual level, what would it be like if you peak, you already hit your peak? Where, where, where do you go from there? And, and that, that's what we're going to talk about today. That, that's kind of the, the big idea of what we're talking about. Now, here's the thing. Jesus invites us to always have childlike faith. In fact, Jesus said this. Jesus says you cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless there's a childlike quality to your life. There's a beautiful innocence and a purity to your life. But he never, ever wanted us to come with childlike be- behavior, which basically means you're just immature. And, and let's, let's just face it. Being an adult is hard. Um, I mean, how many of you just wish that you could be, like, with all your bills and all your responsibilities and and all those things, you just like go back a little bit and be a little more of a kid. You know, I think it's one thing to have a, a youthful heart. I think we, all, we should always keep a youthful heart. But immaturity is something that, that's quite different. I found this on, um, these are some tweets by people about adulting. So, um, $20 is like an adult dollar. As a child, I thought that I'd have to deal with the Bermuda Triangle a lot more than I have in my adult life. Um, getting socks as a gift as a kid, awful. Getting socks as a gift as an adult, amazing. Wow, these are all, you know, kind of growing pains. Uh, being an adult is like being in, in a Quentin Tarantino movie. It starts out really cool. There's lots of cursing, very confusing. Everyone dies. <laughs> Part of the adult experience. My four-year-old cousin said, if a happy meal is for kids, then grown-ups must eat sad meals. And it was the most real thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and then finally, when parents say to kids, go up to your room and think about what you've done, it's really practice for what you'll do every night as an adult. 
Isn't that encouraging? Growing, growing up is, is hard, isn't it? But on a spiritual level, God says that that's what we need to do. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you or your smartphones or whatever mobile device, please turn to Ephesians. We've been on this journey through the book of Ephesians. Today we're in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we uh, continue with what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. And he has a, he has a lot to say. Um, and so a lot of what he's saying, he's been talking about unity, he's been talking about the body, he uses a, a lot of uh, metaphorical language of the, the body, kind of like a human body coming together and all functioning together and all, all working together. And so we're going to read uh, beginning with verse 14. It says, there will no longer be, then we will no longer be infants, and he's talking about maturity right now, tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. So what he's talking about here is what a, what a mature body, that would be you and I, this, this is a church, a body of Christ, what a mature body ought to look like and what we individually ought, ought to look like. So basically what he's saying, he's saying grow up. You ever, you ever hear those words, you know, when you're 15, you know, but you're acting like you're eight or whatever, and it's like, hey, hey, I, I want you to grow up. Um, and it usually comes from your parents or a teacher or a coach or something like that. I was thinking about an incident that happened. This probably happened about 15 years ago. And I was out surfing with my good friend Mike Quinn, who's the lead pastor of New Break. Uh, we were surfing over at La Jolla Shores. And uh, Mike had a little incident with a guy. Uh, basically, when you're surfing, there's a lot of people in the water. Sometimes, you know, you kind of rub it up against each other, and just stuff happens. But this particular guy is very famous. He's very famous in the surfing world as a shaper. There's a clothing line named after him. I'm not going to tell you who he is, but he's a multimillionaire. Uh, and it's, this guy's like in his late 50s. Uh, and so apparently, when Mike and I went by, Mike and this guy went by each other, uh, this guy hurt his, his fingers, his pinky, and um, he was really upset about it, and he began just, you know, swearing and cursing and making a big old scene about it. Uh, and so Mike went over to him, and he goes, hey, hey, he goes, I'm really sorry. I mean, he really apologized to this guy, and, you know, and, and then paddled away. And the guy, but the guy, he would not let it go. He was just like throwing a tantrum. And so finally, Mike paddled back over to this guy, and he said to I'll never forget, he said, hey, and he was right up to him. He said, hey, he says, you're acting like a kid. You know, again, this guy's in his late 50s. He said, see all these other, these other kids around here? And there was a lot of kids out there. We call them groms in the surf world. All these groms out here? He says, they're watching you. And he said, you need to set a better example. And this guy, to my surprise, kind of looked at him and he went, yeah, you're right, you're right. And he received it really, really well. Kind of on, on a spiritual level sometimes, I think that, that God sort of, through, maybe through people, or just speaks to us and says, hey, hey, you need to grow up a little bit. Then he says, Paul says, then we will no longer be infants. Well, what do you expect an infant to act like? Well, like an infant, right? Here's a couple of infants right here. My, my beautiful little granddaughters, that's Bailey with the uh, first lips there. And that's our latest, that's Keaton. Uh, Bailey's three years old, and, and Keaton is uh, going to be four months old real quick here. And obviously, we'll love, my wife and I just love our grandkids. And we enjoy this stage of, of their life. This is really cool. 
But what would happen if, just to say, let's just fast forward a decade, and, and Bailey is still acting like a three-year-old? Suddenly, what was cute and adorable becomes horribly tragic. And everybody's going, what, what happened? Why, why are you acting like that? You know, why, you, you're, it's unbelievable. And, and it would just, it would be ugly. It would be terrible. So let's talk about spiritual maturity for a second. Spiritual maturity is not always one giant leap. Uh, and, and you know what? If, we were to put, if you were to put your, your life on a graph, let's just say, maybe on a continuum, and you would say, how, how have I grown? What does it look like? Maybe some of you think that it would maybe be kind of like a, a grade where you're kind of slowly going up like that. Maybe, maybe it looks like that, but it probably doesn't. It, it probably would be a graph that would just be kind of all over the place. And I think probably the thing that would probably surprise most of us about that journey is that a lot of times we would think, we would look at a part of our life and we would say, yeah, that's where, you know, it wasn't going good. That's where it was going downhill. That's where it actually was, you know, going forward three steps, but actually went back five, you know, all of that. And what we don't understand, because it was a hard time and we were going through it, that's the time we were actually growing. We were experiencing resistance in our life. And, 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 and then the other part of our life where you say, maybe even right now, and you're going, man, it's good, you know, my devotional life is great, and, and I just feel like I love God so much, and I just feel it, and everything is going well, and it could be that you're actually not really advancing very much right now. But the question is, whether you're one year old in the Lord, or whether you're 25 years old in the Lord, are you keeping pace? Are, are, are you maturing you know, with uh, in keeping with, with how many years you've been in the faith. Now, what Paul says to us in this, and what he's been saying, if you've been with us the first three chapters, all he does is he keeps saying, okay, this is who you are, and this is what you have. This is who you are, and this is what you have. Now, this is, you know why this is important? How many people, maybe it's you, are walking around in an identity crisis? I go, I don't know who I am. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I don't even know what I have. You know, that, I'm still trying to figure that part out. So for three chapters, the first three chapters, Paul says, look at this is who you are. You are a child of God. You have been adopted into the family. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have been chosen. You have been redeemed. You have been saved. You have been called for a purpose. You are holy, set apart for a purpose. And on and on, for, just, for three chapters, he just keeps saying, that's who you are, that's who you are, that's who you are. This is what you have. You've been, you've been given grace so that... You know, at some point, as if we begin to understand this, we're mature enough to get it out of identity crisis because what? Paul keeps saying, saying in Christ, who, are, who you are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And a mature person, you can just tell that a mature person is kind of comfortable in their own skin most of the time. And God is saying, I want you to get comfortable in, in your own spirit. Now, this doesn't happen accidentally. Don't we wish that like the day that we said, okay, I want to be a Christ follower and it would just happen automatically, but we all know that it doesn't. Just like if, if you want to grow muscles, it's not going to happen when you're sitting on the couch eating potato chips. You know, we just like, you can wish it all you want. Man, grow muscles, grow. But until you get down to the gym and start working out, nothing is going to happen. You've got you to be intentional about it. And, and it's the same way you grow in our faith. I, uh, I've been wanting to learn Spanish uh, for some years now. And so if somebody gave me a few years ago, if somebody bought me a Rosetta Stone set, set up, you know, and, and uh, I've been so excited about it. And so it's been sitting on my bedstand <laughs> right next to me. And I just, I'm almost wishing by osmosis, you know, that I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be speaking Spanish. But nothing has happened. 
You know why? Because I haven't plugged it in and I haven't put in the hard work and saying, okay, we're going to learn Spanish. Pray for me, okay? Because I'm still, I still want to do that. I still want to learn how to speak Spanish. But, but it's, it's the same principle. If you and I are going to go forward in our faith, we've got to put some work into it. You say, well, what kind of work are you talking about? And it's, it's basically it's the things that we talk all up, about all the time. We are, for instance, knowing the Bible. I put a, every once in a while, um, I'll put a challenge out there, read the Bible and so I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I said, read the book of John. Just read the book. There's 21 chapters. And, and I was thinking about the challenge that I put out. And may, I want to put it in perspective for you. For some of you, you might say, that just seems like a lot. Like every day reading one chapter. So it takes somewhere between, depending on how you read, probably five and seven minutes to read a chapter in the book of John. Actually, for most, most chapters in the Bible. Somewhere between five and seven minutes. So let's just say that to advance your faith every day, you spend, let's just say, seven minutes reading the Bible, okay? Can you handle that? Okay, seven minutes reading the Bible. And then, how about if you spent another seven minutes praying, connecting with God after you read the Bible or before you read the Bible, however you do it. Now, here's what I want, to, want you to think about. How about Netflix? How much time do we spend, like, just Netflix binging, like how many shows we'll watch. Well, I'm, you know, I'm tired. I need to veg a little bit. So we'll turn the TV on. Now, I'm not trying to shame you, but I actually kind of am. I actually kind of am. Because I, to me, it is the most pathetic excuse in the world when somebody says, yeah, you know, I can't understand, you know, like my life is where it's at and everything. And you're going, do you ever read the Bible? Oh, you know. <laughs> do, you, do you ever pray much? Well, for a parking spot, you know, I just like, uh. And then you're like, well, okay, and then, and then a lot of the people who fall in this category, and, and you, know, you look at them, and they've been a Christian for sometimes a lot of years, but you can just see their life is going nowhere. And a lot of times, they're also making really bad choices. Hey, have you ever thought there's a connection between the choices you're making and what you are not doing to advance your life? Just thought I'd put it out there. Think about that for a minute. So we need to grow up, but we also need to, Paul is saying, you also need to stand up. You probably heard the expression, you stand for nothing, what? You'll fall for everything. You've you, you got to stand something for something. You, you have to have some convictions in you. So he says, he's talking about, he's kind of using the metaphor of a wave in and, and, and our life. And he says, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people, and their deceitful scheming. Now, how many of you know that there are voices that are coming at us and will continue to come at us from all over the place? And a lot of those voices will come with strong conviction. This is what you ought to believe. This is what you ought to do. But the question is, is there enough values and convictions and, and like you know what you believe inside of you that you're not going to be like, yeah, kids are easily influenced, aren't they? You know, you, you tell a five-year-old something and they're kind of gullible and they'll go, oh, really? Okay. And they believe everything. But at some point in time, as you and I begin to mature, we can't believe everything because not everything is true. This is what Paul's talking about. Like you got to know who you are. you got to know what you believe in. And, and, and you can't just play it by ear and, and you know, kind of the situational ethics thing. Well, when it comes, I'll deal with it. And then it comes and you're like, whoa, wow. Um, geez, uh, and what's that, what is that decision going to be based on? Is it going to be a biblical decision? Will it have anything to do with what the Word of God says? Or will it just be, well, I'm just going to do it this way because it's the most convenient way or it feels good, it's what everybody else is doing? You, you have to figure that out. What's, what's determining that? Because in the absence of biblical conviction, people will always go the way of the culture. 
Let me read to you what Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 12. And he's talking about culture really right here. Verse 2, he says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. What is he saying? Don't jump in with the culture. Well, why wouldn't I do that? Well, because, first of all, the culture is, is, is just always drifting. It just drifts wherever. There's no anchor to the culture. There's no foundation to the culture. Culture just does what culture does. And if you follow the culture, you're just going to be all over the place with your thoughts, with your emotion, with your belief system, with your priorities, with your values. But he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's he talking about there? In other words... Knowing God's word, conforming your ways, your thoughts, your ideas to his words. Then, he says, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when that situation comes up and you say, well, man, i, I got to make a call here. I have to determine what I'm going to do. You'll know because you'll know the ways of God. And, and you'll be able to, to make that call. When, when uh, Paul was talking to his young understudy, Timothy, uh, and he's trying to really help Timothy as a, as a young pastor. He says this to him, and he's trying to reinforce the word of God. You know, because I, I think any one of us sometimes can lose a little confidence and we, you know, with all those voices out there. And he says, all scripture, Timothy, and to all of us today, is God-breathed. And it's useful for what? It's useful for teaching, sometimes rebuking, Correcting and training in righteousness. So, that, so why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But, but you've got to believe in the word of God, and you have to read the word of God. Uh, this is a statement that uh, Rick Warren made. Many of you know who Rick Warren is. He wrote The Purpose Driven Life. He pastors this little tiny church called Saddleback, you know, north of us, you know, about 20,000 people. He says this. He says, what's ironic today is that people often have strong convictions about weak issues, Football, fashion, you know, I could go on, music, whatever. Well, having weak convictions about major issues, what is right and what is wrong. And I, don't, I don't know how many times I've seen you know, a couple of guys arguing about their football teams or, or somebody making a big deal about music and you know, practically to the point where they're getting angry at each other. And you're like, well, okay, they obviously have pretty strong convictions about that. But what Rick is saying, why is it that we don't have those same strong convictions about what really matters, what's really right? When our kid comes home and said, hey, guess what I learned in the classroom today? And you're like, oh, oh my, they, they're teaching that? And you have a biblical foundation, and you're saying, oh, okay, we need to talk. And so, instead of just like, oh, cool, go watch TV. And then we got to speak up. we got to speak. Now, now, when I say speak up, that means different things to some of you in this room right now. For some of you, you might be thinking, soapbox. Preaching, you know, wagging that finger. That is not what Paul's talking about at all. As a matter of fact, that's why a lot of people have left the church through the years. Because somebody thought that it was their job to stand and judge other people. And this is not at all what, what Paul is talking about. Now, here's what he says. Now, listen carefully, okay, because these are very, very, very powerful words. He says, instead, speaking the truth... Okay, and we hope we have a lot of truth-tellers in here. But how? In love. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature. This is how you mature. You speak the truth in love. Mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. It takes love and truth to, have, to grow. And we grow in that environment. And when it's just all truth, probably not so much so. And when it's just all love, probably not so much so. So, 
So why, why is that? Because most of us, when it comes to either being all about love or about truth, most of us sort of fall in in one of those categories. Like, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm just, just looking at this room right now, I'm guessing probably most of you fall off into the love category. And the love category is the person who always wants to say the nice thing, always wants to make somebody feel good, because like, after all, it doesn't feel good to tell the truth that, you know, where the person maybe is not going to hear it right, they're not going to receive it right. So, so we're going to be that person, and like, even when we know we ought to tell them the truth, we just like, um, and we just don't. I was about, I think it was about three weeks ago, three weeks ago, somebody who I've known for a long time finally came up and told me the truth about what was happening that day. There was a booger in my nose. <laughs> Nobody told me. I'm walking around with a booger in my nose, okay, for the whole first service. And it's obvious, you know, and I'm like, what? And I said, is it that obvious? And this guy said, good friend of mine, yeah, it's really obvious. I'm like, wow, thank you so much for telling me. But what it meant is I walked by a whole bunch of people who were like, oh, I should probably tell Steve about that booger in his nose. But they, they didn't, right? It would be a hard truth to tell Steve that he has a booger in his nose. Not really. I received it really well. <laughs> I immediately went to the bathroom, you know, made sure everything was okay. And then there's the truth tellers. And that's the person who feels it's their job to tell you the truth. But sometimes without so much love. And, and so, you know, they have, to, they have to make it right. Somebody has to tell the truth around here, and maybe you're that kind of a person. But there needs to be, for, for spiritual maturity and growth to take place with the people in your life, there needs to be both. You need to, yeah, to be a truth teller, but always, always tell it in love. And you've got to find your voice. And this is a lifetime pursuit, by the way. This is a lifetime pursuit for you and I to say, how can I speak the truth and, and, you know, is, is in every situation as much as possible, but how can I do it in a loving kind of, of way, speaking the truth in love? So let me tell you about something that happened to me uh, many years ago. I was a brand new pastor. I was probably my second year as a lead pastor. And I was in a church that was, I, I call it, uh, there was, it was like a war zone. There was all kinds of conflict and problems that were going on in this church. And so this is a Saturday, but not just any Saturday. This is the day before Easter. And there was a particular couple in that church that I had been having some conflict with. And we, were, we were just didn't agree on a lot of things. And they were, they were, they were uh, the leaders in the church. And so on this Saturday, uh, I think somewhere around 11 o'clock uh, in the morning, they called me up and they said, uh, hey, Pastor Steve, could you, uh, could you come over? We'd like to, to have a chat with you about a, a few things. Uh, but they said it in such a nice way, I was like, oh, okay. And, and I was thinking, you know, certainly the day before Easter, maybe they wanted to make amends or, you know, maybe we could sort of just, you know, bury the hatchet, whatever, you know. That's just what I'm thinking. So I come over to their house, and, and we sit down, and for the next hour and a half, they completely blindsided me, just unloaded on me. And, and uh, I, I just, I didn't expect it. I didn't know it was going to go that way. And you know, all I can say is I was absolutely devastated by this conversation, especially you know, the, the day before Easter. And, and so I found myself uh, about 11 o'clock that night walking down Sunset Cliffs, praying and crying, just, just, just trying to hold it together. And I have to tell you that when I spoke the next morning that Easter service, that was the worst Easter message I have ever preached. Just, just, I was just wiped out. Now, now here's, here's why I'm telling you this. That couple actually told me some things that were true. Probably some things that I actually probably needed to hear. 
I couldn't hear it because they were saying it through clenched teeth and no love. I just couldn't hear it. And here's the point that I want to make. Why is it that sometimes our enemies are willing to tell us the truth and the people that love us the most won't tell us the truth? It's, it's, it's not a good day when our enemies have to tell us the truth. And it's hard to hear it from your enemies. It's hard, it's hard to hear it from people who don't like you. And so when Paul says speaking the truth in love, it means there's probably going to be maybe some, some hard days when you're gonna, you need to say something, but it just needs to be said. But you're always, you and I are always, always to say it in love. And here's part of the deal. You're going to learn to suffer through doing this. You know why? Because not everybody is going to hear it well. I don't know how many of you have ever been involved in an intervention of some kind. You know, intervention is like, there's that person, they're making destructive choices, their life is just melting literally before your eyes, and finally somebody says, we've got to do something about Larry or whoever, and, and everybody gathers around Larry one day, uh, you know, and, and says, Larry, we love you too much, we just can't let you go on living like that, you're destroying your life, and that's why we're here, and every, in that moment, everybody is speaking the truth in love, and, and you just hope that it goes well, but it doesn't always go well. Sometimes Larry leaves in a huff and says, well, I mean, that's the last time you see him. You and I are not responsible for the outcomes when it comes to speaking the truth in love, and, but it has to be in love. But if they choose to walk away from you, and believe me, in my life, um, this has been a real growing process. There was a, I would have to say probably the younger years of my life, I just got to the point where like, well, I'm just not going to say it because I lost a couple relationships. I just, you know what, I'm not going to, until I, I just realized, God began to speak to me. He said, no, you, <laughs> Steve, you're a Christ follower, and if you're going to be mature, you've got to take it on the chin once in a while, buddy. And you've got to speak the truth in love, and it may not always turn out the way you want it to turn out. And could it be there's some people in your life right now, and God is speaking to you about speaking to them, about speaking up, about speaking the truth in love. It could be a kid, one of your kids. It could be your parents. Maybe just crazy stuff going on. Maybe it's a friend. You really care about that friend. But somebody, and, and, and as a mature Christ follower, you're saying, okay, here we go, God. And, and you've got to know that. It may not go the way you want it to go. But at least you said it. And you said it in love. And here's what you don't know. You don't know that maybe a decade from now, what you said will finally find its place in that person's life and in their heart. And the words will come back. And it will account for something. I just want you to encourage you in that way. And the question is, will, will, will the suffering make you bitter or will it make you better? If it makes you bitter, well, then you need to step back a little bit and get some perspective from God. Okay? Because all he wants us to do is tell people the truth, but always, always in love. And then finally, we, 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 have, we have to team up. We have, we have to team up. He says, from him, now he uses the metaphor of a body again, him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and it builds itself up in love, notice in love, as each part does its work. So it's a picture of, of, of the church maturing and, and, and growing together. And basically he's talking about connection. I mean, that's how we grow. Did you know that nobody grows in isolation? You don't grow in isolation. In fact, you go backwards in isolation. Because there's nobody there to say anything to you. You don't have to worry about it. They're not going to speak the truth to you because they're not there to, you don't allow them to. You're in isolation. And there's a lot of people, that, oh, I don't want to hear it, you know. So they just kind of insulate themselves, isolate themselves. 
I heard one of the most interesting TED Talks I've ever heard about two weeks ago. Uh, I think uh, the guy's name was jo- Johan um, Heron or something like that. It was a 14-minute talk, and it was about addiction. And this is what was the title of it. It says, everything that you, know, you think you know about addiction is wrong. Well, I had to listen to that. I said, well, okay, what is, what is it that I think is wrong about addiction? What is it I don't know about addiction? And, and he said this, and this is kind of the, the big idea behind all of it. He said, in the Vietnam War, we learned a lot about addiction. He said, because 20% of our soldiers that came back were addicted to heroin. 20% over that long, extended war. But he said 95% of them that came back immediately got off heroin, didn't even have to go to rehab, didn't even have withdrawals. Just stopped immediately. And he said, how is that possible? And you, I just encourage you to go listen, listen to it, okay? He'll tell you a lot more. But here was his main point. He said those 95% that came back and immediately stopped is because they, he called it bonding. They connected. They had family. They had wives. They had children. They had people. And, and, and he said the, the, the problem with really addiction or the reason people get into addiction is because they don't want to be present. That's why you take the drugs. That's why you drink the alcohol. That's why you're involved in whatever it is. And it takes you, it's like you don't want to be present. But 95% of the guys and women that came back said, I want to be present. So it was no problem for them to stop whatever that addiction was that they had in their life. This is what we're talking about right here. Being connected. This is why we all need to be connected. This is why we need to be in community. To be in life group. We need people in our in our lives, because they help us to grow. We, uh, we have a lot of phrases inside the walls of New Break. Um, we, we do it better together is one of them. Um, I don't get to do what I want to do. I get to do what we want to do together. And it's just, it's just we have this um, collaboration, and it's made all of us better, all of us a lot better. This is why we, we do life groups. And three times a year, we have life group quarters, and we, we offer that. And this is why this morning I want to end by just encouraging you, if you have not been a part of, of a, any kind of a community like that, I want to encourage you to jump in. I know, you know what? It's way easier not to be in a life group, right? Because then you can come home and just do what you want to do. You're on your own time. After all, we all work hard. We're all busy. We have, you know, these crazy schedules. But what if you say, you know, Steve, I actually do want to grow. I'm a 10-year-old Christian. I'm a 1-year-old Christian. I'm a 25-year-old Christian, whatever. You say, I, want, I need to start moving my faith forward. I want to I grow. I I'm tired of like, kind of being where I'm at. If that's you, I want to encourage you to seriously consider getting into a life group. Maybe you've never done it. And if you're in one and you maybe got out of one, get, get back in one, okay? Because this is how you'll grow. You'll be in a life group and you'll meet people just like you, have problems just like you, challenges just like you. They'll support you, pray for you. You'll pray for them. And suddenly you'll feel very alive and your faith will begin to grow. Okay? So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit, (laughs) ultimately who just drives everything in our life in a beautiful way, changes things in our life. And yet, Lord, the Holy Spirit can only do as much as we allow the Holy Spirit to do. It's incumbent upon us, Lord, to be intentional. And so I, I pray this morning that we would be intentional, and you speak to each one of us about what we can do. For some of us, as, as we've been just 
talking this morning, God, for some of us, there's somebody in our, our head right now, and we're thinking, I need to have a conversation with that person. And I need to be a, a truth teller. And I need to speak it in love, but I've been putting this off for a long time. And I just need to have that, that conversation. And for others of us, maybe here this morning, and you've been avoiding community. You're, you're afraid of intimacy. You're, you're afraid of, of connection and bonding. But you know that it's the path forward towards maturity. You know you'll never, ever grow in isolation. And God's speaking to you right now about what your next step would be. So Lord, give us the courage to do what you tell us to do this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.